In a moment, I'm going to pray and then preach, but before I do, I'd like to cons- I encourage you to consider signing up for the American Sign Language Seminar that we're going to have March 8 and March 9. You may have noticed we have a need for a sign language in our worship service. Jonathan Ute works at Black Lake Bible Camp as our signer. And we do have some attendees who appreciate that service. Some number of months ago, I chatted with Jonathan and said, you know, I'd like to be able to say more than hi and thanks for coming. Um, Really all I can do is say hi. So I asked Jonathan, could you teach me some phrases in sign language? Oh, sure. And, And a couple of weeks later, I got a call from Jonathan and it had become... You know, my mom it will be here to visit kids and grandkids. She grew up in a home with hearing disability. She is a certified instructor. Would you like to have her teach the congregation? <laughs> oh, sure. <laughs> That's an easy yes. So f- that became uh, Friday night and all day Saturday, March 8 and 9. This is a gift to our church. I I would like to be better than saying, hi, can you hand me the piano? I I would like to be able to say, hi, it's good to have you here, and not get those phrases mixed up somehow. (laughs) You know, wouldn't that be nice? From what I understand, our church is a friendly church. I hope we are also friendly to those who are affected by hearing disability. You know, just because it's uncomfortable or you don't know some phrases... Don't avoid. So let's step into this and learn a little bit and become uh, conversant if we can. And just to show the love of Jesus Christ. Well, this morning, um, we are in John chapter 14. We will finish that chapter this morning. And I, I really feel a need that we need to pray as we approach God's holy, inspired, inerrant word. Let's pray. This morning, as we approach you, our great and glorious God, we approach you with our praise and our needs. We praise you for who you are and for what you have done. We approach you with our needs, humble and at times broken. Where there is need in this room for courage, I pray that you would deliver us out of discouragement. Where there is need for faith, I pray that you would deliver us out of fear. And if we come with heavy hearts, give us hope in Christ. If we come with a sense of every need has been met and we we just don't even sense a felt need, I pray that you'd show us something new from your word. Grant your will be accomplished in our willing hearts this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. More than 30 years ago, a writer by the name of Robert Fulgham published a book that became a New York Times bestseller and ended up selling over 7 million copies. It was simply called, All I Really Needed to Know, I Learned in Kindergarten. 
And he talked about some life lessons there that he learned at a very young age that saw him through adulthood and into his later years. The idea was to get ready to live life on your own. Here are the essentials you need to know. And he said some things like this. Share everything. Play fair. Don't hit people. Put things back where you found them. Clean up your mess. Don't take things that aren't yours. Say you're sorry to someone. Wash your hands before you eat. And then the best ones I can't resist. Warm cookies and cold milk are good for you. <laughs> May his tribe increase. Love this guy. Take a nap every afternoon. Yes, no, afternoon, not morning, not in church. Every afternoon. Those are good essentials for life in general, but fortunately for us, the Bible gives us the essentials for following Jesus Christ all the way to the finish line. When we meet up with Jesus today, we are meeting him in, the, again, the, the evening, the occasion of the Last Supper. And this is the night of his betrayal. He's about to leave his best friends for the, the cross, the grave, and the glory that awaits him. It's as if Jesus has gathered his friends together and he's giving them, here are the essentials that you need to know to live a successful life following me. Perhaps we could look at John chapters 13 through 17 as a, a set of instructions given to young minds so that they can live effectively as adults. Maybe it's like the commencement address that someone gives to those who are just about to graduate and more or less head out into the big world on their own. Maybe it's given like, or it's, it, this, this could be likened to the pastor who gives a, a charge to the wedding couple about to be married. He's about to pronounce the vows and he gives them a charge to go out into the world as a married couple and be responsible and be effective for Christ. This could even be like the pregame speech that the coach gives to the team just before the big game. What we have in John chapter 14 are the essentials for a lifelong journey with Jesus Christ. And as I read just a portion of this passage, I want you to listen for three things. There is something here for all of us. There is something to know. There is something to embrace and there's something to do. See if we can spot that. John chapter 14, starting with verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I am not leaving you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live in me. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, 
and I too will love that person and show myself to them. And we'll stop there for now. Okay, so first of all, something we need to know, and that would be the Trinity. God exists in Trinitarian form. It's hard to navigate through the Bible without an accurate understanding of God. It is very important that we get this down. Very simply, God exists in Trinitarian form. You need to know that the Bible teaches God exists as Trinity. As we read this scripture, it's pretty clear to see that Jesus is referring to three distinct persons, the Father, the Advocate, or you might have Helper or Counselor in your, in your translation, the Father, the Advocate, and Jesus himself. So those three. I've printed out for you some, some notes on your outline. I've printed actually the scriptures I want you to be looking at. I'd rather you look at the Bible, but if you have an outline in front of you, if you have some notes in front of you, take your pen, and I want you to circle three terms here. When Jesus says, I will ask the Father, circle the word I. That is one of the persons of the Trinity that Jesus is talking about. Circle the word Father. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Circle the word advocate. So you should have circled in John 14, 16, I and Father and advocate. These three persons are the one God. And it's always been this way. God has always existed in eternity. It's not like this is a new teaching of the New Testament. God has always existed this way. The Father is God. The Son is God. The Holy Spirit is God. They are three distinct persons. There is only one God. Now, it'd be easy to dismiss this as a lecture in theology, and I'm sure some of you are probably thinking that way right now. Gee, why did this guy miss it? Why did he miss his calling and not go to a college and teach there? You know what? I, I can keep it very simple. The Trinity helps us to understand that God is love, and I think you want to be interested in that, to know that God loves you passionately, intimately, deeply. God the Father has loved you from eternity past, if we could put that in a phrase. I don't know that eternity really has a past, but God the Father has loved you from the beginning of time, and he will continue to love you throughout the future into eternity. The Son has demonstrated the love of God when he died on the cross for you, and we've seen this in John chapter uh, 10, not just a glob of people, nameless, fame, uh, faceless, Jesus knows you by name. I call my sheep by name, he said. Jesus died for you. The son also demonstrated the, what it looks like to, to love like God when he lived here. Jesus is a godly example of God's love. And the Holy Spirit is the one who takes God's love and administers to it to particular people in particular times and places. This is how it is that sometimes you can be far from church and just minding your own business, doing something. And suddenly you realize how much it is that God loves you and you're moved by that. That's the Holy Spirit. There are also some very important concepts uh, with the Trinity. And I, I jotted down some of these on, on your notes so you don't have to uh, write these down. There is community within the Trinity. Look back, we didn't read this portion uh, today, but look back at verse 10 of John chapter 14. Jesus is speaking and he says this, Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own, rather it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. 
Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. So Jesus is in the Father and the Father is in him. There is community in the Trinity. There is also love within the Trinity. Look at the very last portion of this uh, section, John chapter 14, verse 31. But the world must learn that I love the Father. Evidence of the love? I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So there's, there's love within the Trinity. There's also authority and submission within the, author, within the Trinity. Look at verse 28. Jesus said this, You heard me say I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now, when Jesus says the Father is greater than I, he's not talking about another God who is somehow bigger and better than he is. He's talking about rank or position. Jesus recognizes the authority of God the Father and submits to that authority. This is where we sometimes talk about ranking in, in terms of the Trinity. God the Father is the first person of the Trinity, we say. God the Son, Jesus Christ, is the second person of the Trinity. God the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. This is where this, this kind of ranking or positional concept comes from. We worship and adore the triune God, perfect in Trinity, perfect in unity. That's just simply who the Bible describes. And this means we have a godly example in Scripture. How to live in community with one another, we have that example in the Trinity. How to, how to love each other, we have an example in the Trinity. How to acknowledge and submit to submit, uh, authority, we have that in the Trinity. Another reason to understand the Trinity, quite simply, is to praise God for who He is. Creating the world is something that God did. Saving people is something that God did and God does. Answering prayer is something that God has done and will do. Trinity is who God is. God would still be God if he did not create. God would still be God if he did not save a soul. But God would cease to be God if he were not Trinity. Quite simply, Trinity is who God is. So that's something that you need to know. And no other religious system has this. This is unique with Christianity. Something that you need to embrace is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So I have verse four, uh, chapter 14, verse 17 typed out for you on your notes. You can uh, circle personal pronouns. I just point them out as I read. The world cannot accept him, circle the word him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. That's five personal pronouns. Isn't that impressive? I'm not even a part of the grammar police. I know what a personal pronoun is. Five of them. Four of them, the word him. One of them, the word he. So obviously, the Holy Spirit is not an it. The Holy Spirit is not, as the Jehovah's Witnesses would say, an impersonal active force like the wind. The Jehovah's Witnesses, just so you know, have their, uh, their own translation of the Bible. And in John 14, 17, they don't have personal pronouns. They have the word it. 
that's a huge departure from historical biblical Christianity. To say that the Holy Spirit is an it is to be unbiblical in your understanding of the Holy Spirit. And we want to be right. The word literally for uh, advocate or helper or counselor that we have in John chapter 14 is the word paraclete. Can you hear the word para? Like paraprofessional, someone who comes alongside of the professional. Paralegal, paraministry. A, a, a ministry such as, well, Johnny in France that comes alongside of the church, doesn't replace the church, is not the church, but comes alongside of the church. Para, come alongside of. Paraclete. Come alongside of and help and advocate and counsel. Paraclete. John chapter 14, verse 16, the paraclete. Now, it's very helpful sometimes looking at particular words or phrases or ideas to find where else that writer of Scripture used that. And, and we have that here. Not in the gospel per se. Well, we do have it in the gospel, but also John wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and in 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, and I put it for you on your notes so you don't have to write this out. Just, just listen to this. Here's, here's John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Very same word used of Jesus Christ by the very same writer, the Apostle John, applies that term to the Holy Spirit. Now, how can he do that? Well, if we look closely at this, Jesus said, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, another counselor, another helper, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Obviously, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit. But when John writes this letter called 1 John chapter 2, when he writes that, because he's talking about Jesus Christ. When Jesus uses the word another, that's very insightful, very helpful to take a peek into the original language. There are two words for another. One means another of a different kind, like hetero. Another of a different kind. This is not hetero. This is allos. Another of the same kind, same purpose, same essence, same God. When Jesus said, I will, I will uh, ask the Father, he will give you another counselor. In other words, the, the, the presence of God will, will, will change now. I am going to depart, but the Father will send another counselor, another help, helper, another advocate, just like me. Same essence, same substance, same God. He has been with you and he will be in you. Wow. Jesus promised a person, not just a power, but a powerful person. Now, because the Holy Spirit is God, he is powerful. Because the Holy Spirit is a personal, he can be powerful in your life, not in a general way, but in a very specific and personal way. In fact, the Holy Spirit as God is so powerful and so wise he is able to change your heart and able to change your mind. The Holy Spirit is even able to give you the desire and the ability to follow Jesus Christ, which is not something you acquired at birth. 
When Jesus said to the father, uh, that the Father will give you another advocate, he was saying that this advocate will be exactly like him. The Holy Spirit was sent to do the very same things that Jesus did. Okay, so what was it that Jesus did for them? While Jesus was with them for three years, he taught them, trained them, guided them, answered their questions, spent time with them. Having Jesus with them was no small matter. Jesus gave to them a model to see, a voice to hear, an example to follow, a person to love, a Lord to obey, a Savior to embrace. They relied on Jesus for protection and provision and direction and wisdom and counsel. When Jesus backs off and says, bye, I'm leaving now for cross, grave, and glory, he's saying the Father will send one and he will do all of that. Everything that I've done for you, he will do. Amazing. Jesus tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit is going to do all of that. I poked around a little bit and just somehow accidentally landed online on a sermon preached by Charles Spurgeon in the mid-1800s. And he only preached on one verse. You know, I need a bunch of verses to fill up some time. Boy, <laughs> Chucky could take one verse and go for an hour. Man, amazing. So uh, John 14, 16, I didn't even have time to read all this. <laughs> Skimmed through it, found a few things that he said. Here we go. The Holy Spirit is to be to us what Jesus was to his disciples. Well, that's exactly what I'm trying to say. And to be with Jesus while he was here was amazing, but Jesus wasn't everywhere. If you wanted to meet up with Jesus and you were living in Jericho and you heard he was in Jerusalem, you'd make the trek up to, to, uh, uh, from, Jer from Jericho to Jerusalem and, and maybe you would get there and they'd tell you, oh, you, you just missed him. He left yesterday for Galilee. Well, that's another two or three days north. So that, but then you book it, and you, and you get to Galilee, let's say, in two days. Impressive. They, yeah, yeah, Jesus was just here, but he left a few hours ago for the coast. And so you go down to Caesarea Maritima, you ask around, no, you missed him by an hour. Now you went to Philippi, and you're all over the place chasing Jesus down. None of that will be necessary with the advent of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, always, 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 you are filled. You are, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Here's the way Jesus says it, verse 17. But you know him, for he lives with you, and now here's this great promise, will be in you. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the indwelling Holy Spirit gifted to every Christian at the moment of salvation. You probably didn't know it, didn't even ask for it, had no idea what was happening. Came to Christ to save your life or to get out of hell or, or whatever it was, some motivation to get to know Jesus Christ, ask him into your life. Part of the package is you get the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit. Wow. This just keeps getting gooder and gooder. God the Son had been near them and God the Holy Spirit will be in them. This conversation changed everything. 
The same kind of help that Jesus gave to his followers would soon be provided by the Holy Spirit. So the presence of God on the face of the earth in a little tangible way was, was changing. The departure of Jesus Christ was not a removal of God's presence, but simply a change in the way that God lived among his people. Well, we know from the Gospels that it took Jesus three years to instruct, or that I, sh I guess I should say Jesus took three years to instruct and to train and to teach, to show his, his disciples, getting, getting them ready for the task of reaching the world. But we also know that he didn't tell them everything. For instance, Jesus told his disciples to be witnesses, go to the nations, make disciples of, of the nations, but he didn't tell them the specifics. Well, do they buy some boats? Do they, they get some camels for some caravans? Do they, do they send a few people and they, you, you go and you stay and you learn the language and you live there forever and we'll catch up in 20 years. Are they supposed to send out a few teams and, and you go for a while and you come back and tell us how it went and we'll send out some more teams. We, we don't have those types of instructions from Jesus Christ. And, and what about the church? Jesus only mentioned, used the word for church twice, both in the Gospel of Matthew. Could, could have done more to telling them about church governance and church leadership. And then how to get along in the church. Wouldn't that have been nice? How to have unity, he prayed for unity, didn't really explain a, a whole lot on, on that. He could have gone into the details of what church leaders sometimes encounter. How do we, how do we help people? How do we help them raise kids? How do, we, how do we grow healthy marriages? How do we do all these things? Jesus left unanswered. And you get the impression as you read through the book of Acts that they were, to borrow a phrase, they, they were making it up as they went along. In other words, they were, they were writing the manual as, as they lived it out. Why couldn't Jesus have spent more time preparing them in advance? Well, they were prepared to follow Jesus. And Jesus knew the Holy Spirit would indwell them. And so his counsel would be with them always. Jesus covered everything that they needed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, another paraclete, to come alongside and to help. Okay, so that's something we need to know is the Trinity, something we need to embrace is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And one more, something we need to do and that's to obey Jesus. To obey Jesus is to show your love for him. To love Jesus is to obey him. I wrote out some uh, Bible verses on your notes, and I went ahead and underlined them for you. Uh, verse 15, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them, that person is the one who loves me. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And from that I surmise that to love Jesus is to obey Jesus. You can say with words that you love Jesus, but to recklessly disobey him and disregard him is to be unloving toward him. Remember that repetition in, in Scripture is emphasis. It's a way of highlighting or underlining or making a bold, all caps, something like that. 
So reading through John chapter 14, the second half, there's, there's three things that are emphasized by way of repetition. One is the Trinity, and one is the Holy Spirit, and then here is o- obedience. Now, Trinity and the Holy Spirit, I can see that those, those two concepts, uh, the theological concepts go together rather well, but how does obedience fit into the, with these three? Why would you lead with Trinity and Holy Spirit and then land on o- obedience? The Father calls us to obey Him, got that. Jesus saves us and gets us into a position where we can obey God, and the Holy Spirit gives us both the desire and the ability to obey God. Okay, so got the Trinity involved in obedience. Evidence of a Holy Spirit-filled Christian is obedience to the commands of Christ. This is more than knowing a few things mentally and checking a box. I, I, I take it that the way Jesus phrases this, if you love me, you will keep, me, keep my commands, and that is so closely tied to the Holy Spirit is going to be here in place of me. In other words, the Holy Spirit will give you everything you need. What we often say is the desire and the ability. But I think also part of the same package of the Holy Spirit indwelling the Christian is not just the desire to obey, not just the ability to obey, but the love for the one who gives the commands. If you love God, it's because the Holy Spirit put that in your heart. If you sense a love for Jesus Christ and admiration of the matchless person of Jesus Christ, you did not land on that on your own. You were not born that way when you came into this world. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit in your life. Here's a, a glimpse as to what we need to overcome. Uh, this is fascinating. Two, there's two times in this passage Jesus says, if you loved me, fill in the blank. First one is, if, if you loved me, you will obey what I command. Now the second one is a surprise. And it doesn't apply to anybody in this room because the event has already happened. Let's look at verse 28. You heard me say, I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father. If you loved me. I take it that if they loved Jesus Christ, they would have been eagerly anticipating the cross. Finally, what we've been waiting for, an avenue to God. Here it is. This is how a sinner can be made right in the sight of a holy God. Jesus is going to the cross. Can't wait for that to happen. Was there no one who thought that way? If you loved me, you would be glad I'm going to the Father. It could be that their greatest heartbreak of Jesus leaving was their personal loss of the presence of Jesus Christ. Was there not someone there who was a bit more excited for the glory of God to be displayed in the, cry, in the cross? Was there not anybody there who was aching and longing for this, this Messiah to come and provide a way for sinners to get to know a holy God? Was everyone in the room only sad because their best friend was going to go? What we overcome in order to get to know God personally and to love God deeply 
and to obey God consistently, what we have to overcome is our self-centeredness. That's not a knock. That's reality. We were born with an orientation toward self. The Holy Spirit ministry can change that and help you to become God-centered, Christ-centered, others-centered. The type of God-centered, God-exalting, God-loving obedience that Jesus modeled for them is available through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Okay, let's change gears for a moment. Having worked through what this passage of Scripture meant to them back then, we are able now to apply it and, and, and bring in some meaning as to what this portion of Scripture means for us today. I have to go look at us or them back then and then bring it back into us today. Because of who the Holy Spirit is, the third person of the, of the Trinity, another advocate sent by Jesus Christ, I submit to you, we should treat the Holy Spirit really, really well. Too many Christians neglect the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Focus on Jesus as well we should. The Holy Spirit did focus on Jesus. Charles Spurgeon again says it this way, Treat the Holy Spirit with love and tender respect which are due to the Savior and the Spirit of God will deal with you as the Son of God did with his disciples. Here's why I think we sometimes neglect the person and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We want to avoid the mistakes of those that we perceive to be Holy Spirit fanatic. Okay, that's too much. Too much emotion, too much feeling. You're getting off here. We prefer to focus on the renewing of our minds with Scripture to ensure that our hearts don't desire or misdirect. Quite frankly, we just prefer facts over feelings. Easier to manage. In some places, well-meaning Christians who love God and love people passionately have neglected the person and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. But based on the words of Jesus Christ in John chapter 14, we ought not to do that. Let me ask you a diagnostic question that I sometimes have to ask myself. How often do you attribute the work of God to God, G-O-D, rather than the Holy Spirit? I don't think it's uncommon for the Holy Spirit to, to do a work in our lives and we just simply relegate it to, well, it's a God thing. God is so good. Look what God did. Why not give mention to the third person of the Trinity? You know, the Holy Spirit did this in my life. It's fun. Holy Spirit has changed my heart. Here's a safe way that we can begin this as, as we explore this. Pray according to Scripture. So pray what you see in John chapter 14. I've been trying to uh, improve at, at praying, trying to, to, to learn to pray better and, and deeper prayers. And I started with the book of Ephesians, spent a couple of years in Ephesians, just kind of taking note what's in there and what's not in there. What, what, what should I be praying about here? What did Paul pray about when he prayed for the church? What are some great things about God that I can praise God for? And, and letting this inform my my times of prayer. My preference is to pray to God the Father through God the Son as I am informed by God the Holy Spirit. 
But sometimes I've noticed that in my praying, I break out in praise to the Holy Spirit. Not another language, nothing like that at all. English language. Sometimes in my praying, I actually address the Holy Spirit to do His work in my hearts. Now, if I were to pray 10 minutes, nine minutes is addressed to God the Father. I might have one minute in there where I talk to the Holy Spirit, asking Him to do what biblically He is defined to do. Pray in line with the Holy Spirit's job description. Okay, so here's a sample. And I, I wrote some of this out, so I, I'm just going to talk it through. Dear God, help me to yield to the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life. Well, that's pretty safe, right? You're not, you're not asking for a, a, a secret prayer language or anything. You're asking for something that is described in, in John chapter 14. Dear God, bringing this prayer in the person of Jesus Christ, help me to understand the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life. Help me, God, to not neglect the Holy Spirit. Cause your Holy Spirit that lives in me to give me counsel and wisdom and help. Teach me and remind me of this great scripture that I understand. Then I might address personally, individually, the Holy Spirit. I might say something like this. Holy Spirit, convict me of my sin. Holy Spirit, show me new ways that I can obey your word. Because maybe I'm just dodging the word of God a little bit. And I want God to shine his light into a dark place that's in my heart. And then I, I, I like to bring it back to God if I, if I, if I direct away um, God the Father. I, I, I like to always close talking to God the Father. Teach me, Heavenly Father, more about the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. That's very biblical to pray that way. I encourage you to give that consideration. Some of you listen to my preaching and you pay compliments to me. You have nice things to say. Love you, mean it. Appreciate that. If you hear anything good from me and in terms of an explanation of the Word of God, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. That's not me. I teach, I explain, I proclaim. The Holy Spirit brings the ministry. Let's praise God for who he is. found this hymn that was uh, referred to by that guy, Charles Spurgeon. And this is a hymn that uh, uh, praises and makes requests of the Holy Spirit. It's a, I wrote it out on your, on your notes, Invoking the Spirit by Joseph Hart. He wrote it down about 100 years before the time of Charles Spurgeon. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Let thy bright beams arise. Dispel the sorrow from our minds, the darkness from our eyes. Cheer our desponding hearts, thou heavenly paraclete. Give us to lie with humble hope at our Redeemer's feet. Revive our drooping faith, our doubts and fears remove, and kindle in our hearts the flame of never-dying love. Convince us of our sin, then lead us to Jesus' blood, and to our wandering view reveal the secret love of God.
Tis thine to cleanse the heart, to sanctify the soul, to pour fresh life into every part, and new create the whole. Dwell therefore in our hearts, our minds from bondage free. Then shall we know and praise and love the Father, the Son, and Thee. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you that so long ago Jesus Christ said these things and they got written down for us to read. Ooh, right here in 2024. And we are moved by these words because we sense that there's something that's available to us that's a bit more than what we're experiencing. And we want Christian growth. We want depth with you. We want to know Jesus with clarity. We would like to see and recognize the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Lord, on a regular basis, an ordinary, average, everyday basis, I, I pray that as we read your word, we would submit humbly to you and that the Holy Spirit would illuminate for us what we read in your word. I pray that as we interact with people, we would pay attention to those thoughts that perhaps you drop into our mind to stop and pray for a need that's been expressed or maybe to turn the conversation to a gospel conversation where those, those things are needed as well. We want to be more aware, more alert that we are Christians, ambassadors for Jesus Christ. We get to journey with Jesus as we are empowered by the Holy Spirit. Help us to do that in a way that is pleasing to you. In Jesus' name, amen.